Welcome, Welcome to the, the broadcast. broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back Arizona. It's Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. It's Rosie on the house. Your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. And if you're following along in our homeowner handbook, you know today with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm, we're talking backyard chickens. And Farmer Greg, welcome to the broadcast again. Thank you. Thank you. And you have I'm brought excited. with you a returning guest. I have. We have Kari Spencer of the Microfarm Project here with us in studio. And uh, she is the author of the City Farming Book and the Vegetable Gardening Journal, which we'll talk about a little later on, and uh, help us helped us start the Great American Seed Up program that we started a few years ago and, and just all around a longtime friend of mine. Welcome, Kari. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes, yes. And so we're going to be talking actually backyard animals, but we usually, you know, when people think about that, we start with chickens. And you know, it's so, funny you say that when we were talking about it this week, somebody's like, so backyard animals, like what? Like uh, what would walk through your backyard, like javelinas and coyotes? I'm like, well, uh, not necessarily that. You could attract those things by having animals if you're not, uh, don't have the proper setup. But no, we're talking like farm animals that you can have in your backyard in the city legally. Yeah, and you yeah. put them there on purpose. They don't just wander in, right? <laughs> yeah, and you can have um, different food sources right there in your backyard other than vegetables, which everybody can grow, but uh, you can also have some animals. And we're going to start with chickens, like Farmer Greg said. Uh, easiest and probably one of the hardest working. For yeah, sure. Kari, why don't yeah. you tell us about what chickens do in your yard? Well, chickens are the ultimate compost assistants. I have to say that I have gone times without chickens and I really miss the compost for the gardens because you can throw your vegetable scraps to them and they turn it into soil, which is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big, big, big proponent. If you have a backyard, you should have some chickens. And um, just on a little bit of a side note, apparently Chandler recently approved chickens you couldn't, in the past, have chickens in Chandler or Glendale. So now we just got Glendale to go. And it's so funny because both of those cities were so much agriculture and farming. How they ever got a chicken restriction in those towns is, you know. Beyond me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are some places in Glendale where you can have them, but you have to be in the specific areas that are zoned for it. But I'm go. really glad that the cities are, are loosening up on the restrictions, especially considering the price of eggs right now, having them in your backyard is not just convenient, but it also, you know, it's essentially free. You have to feed and house them, but you get your eggs every day. And after you have get used to having your own eggs and you go somewhere else and it's like, this this doesn't look like an egg. It's, it's like yellow, you know, the eggs we're used to are like golden right. and the yolk is super thick and creamy and it's like these are like thin and runny and like what what these aren't eggs where are these yeah there's definitely <laughs> a difference right yeah. yeah so let's start by talking about what a chicken does in our yard 
Because they don't just give us eggs, do they, Kari? No. Um, I mentioned composting, but they also are really good in in the garden with within reason. Don't leave them in there all day. But if you let some chickens loose on your property for a little while, they will take care of pests. Uh, one big one here is scorpions. They're oh yeah, they're so. pretty good at taking care of the scorpions on the property. So they're good to have around for that. And before we get to that, let's let's back up with acquiring chickens. You know, do you buy them as little tiny hatchlings that are a couple days old, or do you wait and get them? You know, because they're they're I don't know right now, but you know they're probably still less than five bucks. Like you said, with the price of eggs, that that price might have jumped. But then you can go get a mature one for like thirty bucks. Right, and I haven't looked at the prices these days to know if that still holds true. But I I really prefer to get the little ones because they're so cute and they're also will acclimate to you. You can handle them and they get used to you holding them and they don't run from you as much as an older chicken will. However, you have to provide some special equipment for those little baby chicks and you have to feed them for quite a while before they start to give you eggs. Which is usually about six months and the good thing about it is it's not expensive to feed them. No, they're so tiny. <laughs> they don't eat they don't eat a whole lot till they start getting bigger. But some people do like to start right away with what we call point of lay hens where they're just getting to the point where they're about to start laying eggs. And if you do it that way, you don't have to have all the brooder equipment for the babies. You can just go straight to having a coop for them and they will lay for you a lot faster. And you know for sure whether they're a hen or a rooster, which is pretty much guaranteed when you buy a chick, but it's not 100% and, guaranteed. And that's from uh, a, a, a hatchery. I have bought them from a home grower before, sure. uh, specifically the Buckeye breed of chicken, just to uh, try something new. We've tried all kinds of breeds just, to, just for fun. And we actually have a strategy now where every six months we'll get a different breed. That way we know, you know, when the bard rocks, uh, you know, it, it, it helps us track their age. And we know about the time they're going to stop being a regular layer. Um, but this private uh, seller, you know, he raised himself. So we bought 24 knowing that we were going to have some roosters in there just because, he, you know, he's not a professional and they're not what they call sexted. Uh, I think we know about 21 of the 24 were roosters. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What are the odds of that? That's not usual. You know, it's usually right. more around 50-50. <laughs> yeah, but I guess um, you can always use chickens for meat as well if you end up in that situation, if that's what you want to do. But uh, most people prefer to buy them where they are they're closely guaranteed whether it's going to be a hen or a rooster and there's a lot of places so, you know any pet store feed store tax store generally sells chicks you have to find out when they get delivered because right now um i know one of your favorites um greg is uh, western, western ranchman western ranchman and last time i was yep. there which was just a week or two ago um and they, they get 100 every Thursday, and they're like, and if you're not here in line waiting, they're generally gone by noon. <laughs> wow. Good for them. Yes. 
Yes, that's a dangerous place to be for me in the spring because <laughs> they're, they're so cute. You, you mentioned point of lay. I just want to say there's a caveat with with older hens. You need to make sure a point of lay hen is generally five to seven months old. So you need to make sure if you are getting an adult hen that it is an actually a laying hen. Sometimes people will sell hens that are beyond their laying just to get rid of them. So you just, that's a caveat. Make sure that you're actually getting a teenage hen. And generally you can look at the hen and see, you know, do they look like a fresh hen or do they look like they've been, you know, had years on them. So, you know, making sure that you get the right one that way is really important. That's right. Yeah. Now, do you guys have breeds that you prefer? Well, I like there. I like barred rocks. They're not a huge bird, but they have they're they're you know they still have some weight to them. I like um, Leghorns. They lay really well. There are so many breeds that. <laughs> And I'm kind of a chicken collector that it's really hard to say what what I like the most um, because I really I love them all. I like I even like those really strange Polish ones, you know, that <laughs> look like Phyllis Diller. But mm-hmm. um, they don't they're not the most prolific layers. Like like a barred rock is a very um, reliable egg layer, but they're fun to have around. So it kind of depends on what you are looking for. If you're looking for a, a bird that can serve as a meat bird when she stops laying, then you want to buy the, the bigger breeds. If you just want a really reliable layer that won't eat too much for the amount of eggs that she gives you, then something like a leghorn is, is a good choice. On the uh, transitioning them, so our hens are pets, so we don't do that with them, transition them to the pot. Uh, but a few years ago, I actually raised some meat birds. It's a different breed of bird, and they go from chick to plate in about eight weeks. So this is something if you know that you can do if you want to explore that. That's what I did. I explored it. Uh, and during my time when I was butchering some of the uh, some of the meat birds one of my hens, laying hens, went lame and she couldn't walk anymore. So I put her out of her misery and butchered her and cleaned her. And it was amazing. Her breasts on the laying bird were the size of a quarter, whereas the breasts on <laughs> on the meat birds were something like you would expect in the grocery store. So just, just a heads up about that. Laying hens are not, they're, they're usually called uh, put them in the pot, birds. And that doesn't apply that necessarily to just chickens either. My neighbor was raising Thanksgiving turkeys, and we thought, oh, well, we'll buy one from him. And we got it, you know, he brought it over, and I looked at him like, this looks more like a, the size of a pheasant. I'm like, I'm, I'm expecting to feed, you know, we have a very big family. It's Thanksgiving. I'm, you know, th- this isn't a 20-serving 20, 20 bird here. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. When you raise them yourself, they don't get as big. So chickens, chickens, chickens. Now, I had interrupted you as going into all the functions that chickens do in their yard for us. You mentioned composting. Greg, you mentioned insect control. But there is more, and we're going to get to all of those. But of all the things we can do here at Rosie on the House, we can't stop the clock. Hang tight. 
In our Urban Farm Hour with Farmer Greg of UrbanFarm.com and Kari Spencer of CityFarmingBook.com. We were talking about chickens and the uses for them. And before we continue that, we were talking on the break that, Greg, you wanted to step back one more and take a, 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 a more of a bird's eye view, a higher bird's eye view about permaculture and stacking functions and, uh, you know, the, the, the holistic system that we're setting up here. Perfect. And first of all, it's, it's uh, UrbanFarm.org. UrbanFarm.org. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so in permaculture, in permaculture, we have something called stacking functions. And let's just step back from that a minute. Uh, permaculture, I like to call the art and science of working nat- with nature. So how do we work in the flow and the flowability of natural systems? So when I'm designing a landscape uh, from a permaculture perspective, I'm looking to see how how nature can just be nature in my yard. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in permaculture is called stacking functions. And stacking functions is the concept where we have one asset, and in this case, we'll call the asset a chicken, and it does many things for us. So we already talked about they eat bugs and they eat weeds and they give us eggs. What else do we get from a chicken, Kari? Well, this is one of my favorite um things about permaculture, the stacking functions, because if you get creative and you start thinking it through, really, you can you can come up with so many more things that a chicken can do if you just sit down and look at a chicken and how they behave in nature or just naturally and make use of that, because chickens do not like to be bored. They're very, very busy. They're always doing something. So um, they love treats. And so if I'm in my kitchen and I'm making a salad and I have those end pieces, I will give them to the chicken. They see them as a treat. I see it as I don't have something to throw away now. It reduces waste. And they turn it into compost, which is really great. They help with aerating my garden. So if I have a garden that is at the end of the season and there's aphids or something in it and I want to get rid of them, I'll let those chickens loose in there and they will aerate the soil they will take care of all the bugs they will eat all the old dead maybe diseased plants and take care of them for me and turn those into fertilizer right as well so they're just really fantastic to have have around they do so many things they're really fun to have around as well Um, their feathers are good for fertilizer so you can compost those feathers or even just bury them in your yard and other parts of the bird are good for fertilizer as well you've mentioned a couple of things about them being fun Uh heidi raises chicks from day old chicks and regularly that when she goes out to the chicken coop we don't have any chickens right now but when we were in phoenix um she would go out to the chicken coop and they will jump up on her shoulder and come and hang out with her and you know hug her and uh, you know, they're, they're very friendly if you, if you raise them that way. Yeah, my so. daughter even had a rooster who would put his head on her shoulder and let her carry him <laughs> really? around like, like a baby. Only her, though, nobody else. Um, <laughs> and my kids got an income because they would help to take care of other people's property when they go away, and they would sell eggs. And that's another function of having a chicken around as a, actually a source of income which right now selling eggs is a pretty good 
pretty good deal. My niece sold me some eggs for $8 for a dozen, right? So <laughs> my own niece. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, we paid $9 for organic eggs at the farmer's market the other day. Yeah. Oh, so you got a deal. I got a bargain from her, <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> no, we yeah, could exactly. probably spend the whole hour talking about chickens, or at least I could. I mean, they are a, a must-have in my mind. Uh, but, you know, you've got to be able to protect them at night, and you're we let ours roam all day and they've got their coop and they just they they tuck themselves in bed and in the morning when the sun comes up they come on out and uh they are have figured out how to fly over we have a chain link fence in the coop and they've got a spot that they just kind of hop up on top of these pallets and then they fly over and come down and at night they hop back up and uh fly back in i mean they they're if you keep water out uh and depending on the size of your property i mean some you, and they take care of themselves. Yeah, they do. They don't really want you messing with them too much, right? And they do put themselves to bed at night. Now, you have a big property, right? So you can let your birds loose. But in if you have a small property, you might not want to let them loose all day. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. And what we did is we just let them loose in the evening, in the late afternoon. And they would run around for an hour or two, and then they would put themselves to bed. And I didn't have to try to corral them back to the coop. So that works there's really one, well. There's one huge caveat with this. If they get in your garden and you have plant starts in there, they will do away with your plant starts. Like any <laughs> bird will, yes. Yes. So make sure that you keep them out of your gardens. And unlike Kari said, she will let them in, but that's at the end of the lifespan. They kind of let them do the cleanup and the insect uh, control and kind of help you get reestablished for the next planting season. Yeah. Yes. Don Titmus has four garden beds, four large garden beds on his uh, property. He's out in Mesa. And each quarter, he moves his chicken coop from one to the next. So that they're, you know, for a quarter, for three months, they're digging, weeding, leaving manure behind. And then uh, he moves it the next month and plants that garden bed. The crop rotation. There you go. All right. Well, we've covered chickens fairly well i know there we could again spend the other half hour but there's other animal backyard animals we'll be talking about here uh in the urban farm hour with farmer greg and kari spencer well we'll be back right after bottom of the hour news Continuing our conversation about backyard animals, and <clears throat> I had said we were moving on from chickens, and Farmer Greg said, "Wait, I got, I got a couple important points we got to hit before we jump all, jump to the next animal." So, go ahead, Farmer Greg. Great. So the number one is the myths about roosters. Um, roosters only crow uh, at sunrise is number one myth, that is not true. They crow 24 seven and they're not legal in most municipalities to keep them. Uh, I think if you're in Phoenix, you need to have an acre. Uh, the other myth about them is you need a rooster to get chicken, to get eggs. And that is not true at all. Um, so you can, you can have a flock of hens in your backyard and it's, uh, you'll get all the nice eggs you want. The other thing that's, go ahead, Romy. I was just going to say, but you will have to rebuy those hens at the point they're done laying 
or you know the the end of their life because without the rooster you know you don't have a fertilized egg that's the you know that's the reason you would only reason you would keep a rooster is if you're trying to keep your flock going yeah exactly and uh, you know i i found that at the urban farm i kept eggs there or kept hens there for 20 years and regularly we would get five and six year old hens still laying so they'll lay for quite a while the the thing about that is though the the when they start laying the eggs are smaller and you get more eggs as they age the eggs get larger but you get them less often and then the other thing that we really need to say is that you need to build a predator-proof coop. Uh, the urban farm is at 16th Street in Glendale in that neighborhood. And about five or six years ago, we had a bobcat come in our backyard and kill 11 of our hens. And that's right in the middle of Phoenix. So if you're gonna build a coop, you need to make sure that it is predator-proof for the predators that are in your neighborhood. And um, javelinas, raccoons, um, bobcats, coyotes, they will all take out hens if, if uh, they're not protected. Predator-proof, absolutely. If you build it, they will come. So have a, yeah. ha- have a safe place for them to stay. And most of those are nighttime uh, yes. predators. So you, know, you really don't have much to worry about during the day. If they're small enough, maybe an occasional hawk here and there. But for the most part, it's just making sure they're secure at night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and chicken wire is for chickens. It will not keep a bobcat <laughs> out. So you want to use yeah. some hardware cloth, some welded yeah. wire hardware cloth that's um, stronger to keep even dogs out. If you have dogs that aren't used to the chickens and might want to get into that coop, uh, they'll just tear right through chicken wire. Yeah, chicken wire is not for chicken coops. I don't know what you would use it for, <laughs> but you do not use it. For chicken coops, you use hardware cloth and welded wire fencing with yes. a top. Got it. Got one, of the, one of the lessons I learned at the urban farm, I used the welded wire fencing, and it had holes in it that were two foot, two inches by four inches. And rats could get in, and sparrows and small birds could get in. So I agreed with myself when I build my chicken coop here, we're using hardware cloth that have holes in it that are a centimeter by a centimeter and so that's going to keep all those critters out let's talk about things other than chickens what else can you keep on your urban farm kari well there really are a lot of options you can keep um, coternix quail which are just little little birds and they're very prolific layers they eat almost nothing can lay these cute little quail eggs but one of the favorite things that people like to keep in their backyard if they have enough space is is a goat. Goat milk is delicious. And a lot of people who have allergy to cow's milk can tolerate goat milk, especially if it's if it's raw. Goats are becoming more and more popular for people to keep in their yard. But unlike a chicken, that goat won't milk itself. That that's an ongoing job. <laughs> that's right. Every day. They don't go to the brooder and lay uh bottle of milk no so you you have to milk them every day and some people like to get a lot of milk so they will milk twice a day in the morning and at night on our farm we milked them every day but only in the morning because i didn't need gallons and gallons of milk but if you don't continue to milk them 
then they will stop producing milk. And the only way to make them start producing milk again is for them to have a baby goat, which then you have to deal with a baby goat, which to me is not a problem because they're so cute. But, you know, how many goats do you want to have? And what do you do with a baby goat once you have it? And the mama goat will produce enough milk for the baby and for you as well. You don't have to worry about depriving the baby of of not getting enough milk. Like you said, some people milk twice a day. When they get milk, they immediately start reproducing, and it's very quick. Right. They will meet the demand. Sometimes a mama goat will have four babies, right? And she can milk, she can feed those just as well as a mama goat who has one baby. But at some point... Mama needs a break. (laughs) Yeah. At some point, every doe is going to go out of milk and then she will need to have a baby but you can extend that time by being very consistent in your milking and there's lots of great things to do with goat milk so it's not really a problem you can make cheese you can um you know just drink that raw milk there there are many things to do make a chocolate make yeah the fudge we were talking about goat milk fudge and how delicious that is (laughs) now talk about breeds because unlike chickens you know, virtually all of them will lay and, and lay good for you unless it's a, one of those specific, you know, bred for, for meat birds like Farmer Greg was talking about. Well, you can get a goat that will not be a good milk producer for human consumption. I mean, they, they can get so small. One, it's hard to <laughs> milk a, a little tiny pygmy goat. Yeah, like a little pygmy goat, I suppose. But there are also bigger breeds, but I don't have much experience with the bigger ones. I always like to have the little, the little ones. ones. <clears throat> What's the ones with the little tiny ears that don't really? Uh, Manchurian, yeah. We had two of those, and they are a bigger breed. And <clears throat> we had a, we found a guy that uh, built metal goat racks that we would hold their head and put sweet feed in their form in the morning. They just eat while, <clears throat> while we milked them. And uh, those two, we we would get over a gallon and a half every morning that I milked. I mean, we had so much, we couldn't consume it. I mean, we were even giving it away. And still, it just, when you have it that consistently, that much, you don't realize uh, how far a gallon of milk can really go. Yeah, there's so much abundance to it. And it's a big, it's not a bad problem to have, to have too much milk. It's a really great problem to have. And, um and like you said, cheese, I had started uh, kind of perfecting or learning and teaching myself how to make cheese. <clears throat> when, if you start doing that, then you realize, no, I need a lot of milk. It's amazing how much milk it takes to make cheese. <laughs> That's right, because only a certain amount of that actually ends up cheese, and the rest is just whey, which you can do other things with. But um, I have learned that if you are very consistent every day with your routine of milking, it gets easier. At first, it might be a little challenging because goats don't necessarily want you to milk them if they're not used to it. But if you're consistent in in doing the same routine every day, eventually they just will do it. You know, they'll just... Uh, my goats even learned the, uh, the rotation, who was first, who was second, who was third. Wow. And they would walk themselves to the stand. But uh, like like chickens you really have to have very good pens for them because when they're not being milked and they're not eating or sleeping all they do all day 
is look for a way out. And when they get out, they usually go and eat the most expensive thing you have, or they strip the bark off your nicest tree, or uh, knock over your plant, a pot with your favorite plant in it that you, it was a gift from that you've been keeping alive for 20 years and, and eat it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they do. So you want to have those hardware cloth fences. You want them tall. <laughs> now, if you only have one chicken, it'll keep itself busy. But a, a, that's one other thing about goat. You don't want to have just one. They, they are not an animal that does well by itself. No, they're herd animals. So having two is good. And if you don't want two goats to milk, some people will have what they call a weather, which is a male goat that can't reproduce. And so that goat will help to protect the female and be um, friends with the female, but not, you don't have to milk him. <laughs> yeah. Just, but a companion, they, they need that. Just a that. companion. Yeah, yeah. And you only need two. I mean, they, you, you could have more. And a, a lot of people, just like everything in gardening or farming, it's like uh, that you get one, and you got to get two, and you got to get three. Then you got to I mean, just the, the, the beginning stage, it becomes, it can snowball very quickly. <laughs> yes, it can. It, it's, it's so fun that you start, you can easily go, go overboard. So a little planning at the beginning to, to know exactly how many you're going to have at any given time and how you're going to house them. And, you know, just get, get that planning in advance so that you don't end up with a zoo in your backyard. Which well, is, this, is, this is some really important points here. Making sure that you, first of all, if you've never kept goats or chickens or really any other animals, making sure that you know what has to happen. Make sure that you have the infrastructure in place, the coops in place, the runs in place, the fences in place. This is to have that done beforehand. Don't run out and get three or four or five chicks without your chicken coop built. All right, we've got one final segment coming up with Kari Spencer of CityFarmingBook.com and Farmer Greg at UrbanFarm.org. Talking backyard animals. As always, Farmer Greg, we're getting down to the end of the one-hour broadcast, and we're going to focus on top priorities of what's left here. Well, so let's talk about zoning regulations and HOAs, for that matter. Uh, you need to know in your city, town, or, or your HOA, whether you can keep animals in your backyard. And for, from a city or town perspective, you want to go to the neighborhood services department and just ask, you know, what livestock can I keep in my, in my backyard? And they'll tell you uh, HOAs are a little bit different. Uh, you just have to check in with your HOA and see what they say. Most HOAs are going to say no to backyard livestock, but you don't know until you ask. So those are two really important things to kind of delve into. And and uh, Romy, on the break, you made a mention of something really important. And, and before I do that, as you were talking about that, it, it was running through my mind. One more thing you need to check as well is if you're on, uh, if you're not in a city, if you're on a county property, uh, a little more rural, there would be what's called CCNR, it's codes, covenances, and restrictions, like our area mm -hmm. in Whitman, you can't have, I think it's like six horses per acre it is, is the limit. So if you wanted more than six horses, you obviously got to buy more acres than that. And there's a couple other ones that I can't really remember just because they didn't 
apply to us but check your ccnrs if you're in a moving to a rural area as well and car you had mentioned uh raising quail and uh these aren't the native quail that uh, they're called gamble quail one of three that's we have in the state but gamble is what is in and around tucson and phoenix and you know we're not talking about herding those in and putting them in an aviary and uh you know getting your start start egging them from there these are quail that are specifically bred and bought it's, it's a different breed altogether right and if you're interested in looking into it you can google japanese quail or coturnix c-o-t-u-r-n-i-x and that's two names for the same animal right and they're they're little birds and they often will get around regulations if you can't have chickens but you want to have eggs they're so small and they they live in a cage they do not free range they have to stay in a cage or they will disappear on you right and um, so just like other pet birds you can likely if you can have a pet bird you can have a coturnix quail and you'll want to have uh, at least two or three because they like to be together but they don't need much space and then also on the list you've got turkeys ducks and quail all right, we already mentioned uh, turkey, ducks, and geese. Have you ever had any experience with those? I know they're, I've seen them in properties, but uh, like from what I understand, a goose will only lay one egg a year. I'm like, why have this thing around? One egg a year? <laughs> I don't know about geese. I have not had those, but I have had turkeys and I have had ducks. And they're opposite, you know, of the tiny quail. They're bigger and they need more space. But if you are wanting to do a meat bird, you get a lot more bang for your buck with a turkey or um, a duck than you would with a chicken just because of their size, right? So if you process them, you get more meat for every bird. And their eggs are bigger as well. They have a slightly different taste from a chicken egg, a little bit gamier, but I didn't really notice that much difference. But you can crack one of those turkey eggs and it's like the size of three chicken eggs, yep. which is yep. great, especially if you're baking. If it says three eggs, uh, just one turkey egg, right? And uh, they, they're they a little bit more challenging than chickens to have, but well worth it if you have the space and the inclination. Now, when you're talking space and eggs, uh, another one is if you've ever held an ostrich egg. And there are, you know, there's an ostrich farm. And at one time, and uh, over 100 years ago, they had tried to bring ostrich uh, ranchers into Arizona uh, and it just didn't work out um it, do you guys I, I should have asked this beforehand I don't want to chew too much time I mean how much space do you need for an ostrich oh <laughs> I don't know I don't know Good question a lot a lot <laughs> big mean animal what about peacocks they're they're pretty to look at but man Talk about an annoying bird to have around. They're right? loud. They're very loud, as are guinea Worse hens. Than... Guinea hens are very loud, but sometimes people like to have them just because they protect other animals. But I wouldn't have them if you have neighbors who would be opposed to hearing them yelling all day long. Right. Yeah, they're worse than roosters for sure. I do want to, before we wrap it up, I do want to have Kari tell us about her books. Okay. Yeah, I have a couple of books, um, and the two latest ones, I've got City Farming Book, which is a how-to guide to growing an growing food and raising animals in urban spaces specifically. 
So you can get a hold of that uh, um, on Amazon. It's really anywhere, anywhere books are sold. You can find it there. Right. And then more recently than that, I, I wrote a, a gardening journal that has a lot of information for beginning gardeners and also helps you to track different things that you might want to track in your garden. And that's called the Vegetable Gardening um, Tracker and Logbook. And also you can find that pretty much anywhere. I know that greatamericanseedup.org sometimes has copies there, so I'd check that first. Um, but if you don't find it there, then... You can look on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or yeah. anywhere else. Support local. Support local when you can. That's what this program is all about. <clears throat> Cityfarmingbook.com. Kari Spencer, thanks for coming down this Saturday morning. Farmer Greg, you've got uh, this is great planting season, and you've got a, a very easy free guide for people to follow. Oh yeah, go to plantingcalendar.org. Uh, it's one of the most important things you can do before you plant your garden. Figure out what to plant when. It's a free guide. Thank you, thank you for having us. Thank y'all. It's Rosie on the house every Saturday morning.